Hello, my name is David Coletta, and I'm the senior leader at Mission Community Church. Before you begin watching the Sermon of the Week, allow me to pray that you might encounter God right there where you are. Father, I ask that your spirit will be present right where people are watching this video. May they be receptive to the voice of your spirit as they watch in Jesus' name, amen. From all of us at MCC, may God bless you as you watch this week's message. Are you excited this morning? All right. You know, um, about um, a year plus ago, uh, we happened to be in a, um, in a home meeting uh, or just a home house church. And, um, and um, Ken and his wife Linda happened to be there. And Ken was going to, to share and, 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 um, and just bless the group. And uh, we got connected. And we started talking about the number two topic of preference in, uh, in the Coletta household, which is food. <laughs> you know, Jesus is one and then food is next. And Ken uh, kind of mentioned that, um, you know, he made the best pizza around. I'm like, well, I'm going to have to try that pizza. Uh, <laughs> and so um, a couple of months later, we, we got together. They invited us over at the farm. And, and I have to say, that pizza was pretty good, Ken. Uh, I don't know if it's better than mine, but it was good. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, but we had a, a wonderful time and a connection uh, that, that we made. And, and Ken and Linda have just been incredibly encouraging to Lois and I. And it reminded me of, of the fact that I heard a, a preacher say once that there are three types of people that we need in our lives. And I think this is good for all of us. We need people that uh, we can minister to, people that we can share with at the same level, and people that can minister to us. Well, Ken and Linda are that couple that can minister to us. And I want you to know that today you're in for a treat. We love you, Ken. Linda, we're so honored that you could be with us. Would you bless Ken Helster as he comes? I had a thought. And God can think through our minds. And if that doesn't blow your mind, you need to think about it again. My thought was, it's obvious that this small group could not have built such an edifice. So therefore, there's a lot of people that are no longer here. And my heart goes out to those people. And whatever has happened in the past, which I know nothing, I don't want to know. I pray healing memories. There's a place in my heart just for you. That's the truth. It's a special kind of place. And God made it just for you. So please take up that place in my heart. In my heart, 
become your heart too. <laughs> Did I mess up that last note? Well, that's sweet. Love can go down to the lowest places. One more time. Love can go down to the lowest places. Love does not hide from sad, lonely faces. Because love has no fear and love knows no shame. But love can go down, down, down. Love can go down. And love can go down to the darkest prison. Love comes to change all the deep things that lay hidden because love has power and love is never afraid but love has come down 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 you get it And the reason love coming down means so much to you is it came down to your deepest place. God, and C.S. Lewis says, this bothers people. It bothers people that God never sees anyone as worthless. If he had seen somebody as worthless, he would not have chosen the cross. He doesn't see people as worthless. What that means for you and I is we are not allowed to see anyone as worthless. To only see them as they're not saved. That's the only difference. And love came down because love stretched itself out on the cross. And love descended to the very deepest regions of hell. And I hope nobody leaves on that because I said that in a church one time and I was asked to leave. Jesus is not a bad man and he did not go to hell. And I had to pack up my stuff and leave. But if he didn't go there, how did he take the keys? I feel like a black preacher. How did he take the keys from death, hell, and the grave? Sorry. Next slide. As you can see, my voice is ruined. 
you just don't play eight and a half years of rock and roll from James Brown to to Led Zeppelin. You don't do that without ruining your vocal cords. So I go to a church that I've not been at before and they send the prayer team to anoint me with oil and pray for my throat. They think I have laryngitis, a bad cold. I said, no, no, that's really my voice. So I decided to find a song that they could understand my voice. I lived in red roses too. I was in bloom for me and you. Then I say to myself, Holy God, what an incredible, beautiful, wonderful world. was in bloom for me and you and I think to myself yours is a wonderful world <laughs> I forget words the colors of the rainbow so pretty in the sky and the smiles on the faces of people passing by yes I see friends shaking hands saying how do you do I really think they're saying that was the wrong chord there it is <laughs> I haven't played this in a long time I really think they're saying I love you. When I came in, this lady said, how you doing? I said, I'm in love. Because I think we say, how are you doing as a matter of speech, and we really don't want to know how you're doing necessarily, especially for someone we don't know. And she said, I think I'll use that. Everyone should use that. When someone asks, how are you doing, say, I am in love. I am in love with my Jesus. I'm in love with my wife of 56 years. And if you hang around long enough, I will be in love with you. And the colors of the rainbow so pretty in the sky and the smiles on your faces of people passing by when I see friends shaking hands and then say how do you do I really think they're saying I love you and I hear babies cry I watched them grow I hope they'll learn more 
than my generation. I want every generation to go past the previous one. We speak blessing in all four of our children that they would go past us. I played music all my life, but my son Jonathan David left me behind. I wanted that. I'm an artist, but my little girl Sarah, what's the name of the guy that did Microsoft? Bill Gates. He bought one of her originals. Ain't that special? So one time I was bragging on my children. I thought I shouldn't do that. And the Lord said, it's okay. I brag on my son all the time. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Let me, let me just look at my watch. I will never be able to do the next two songs. Can, can I do just, just a little bit of it? I want to. Let me look at this. This is, this is an antique. Remember those? I, I still use it because I know how it works. Yay, here we go. Next song on the slides. Encouraging faith, encouraging heart, encouraging words that hold back the dark. Encouraging words and hope 
to give you this morning I realized that if I was a pastor I could take these few points and I think I could use a year to break down each one of them and these are not my quotes but I have a few quotes to share from books to go along with the book. I love this guy, Pete Gregg, and this is his latest book. I'm in it. What can I say? So my son gave it to me. He said, Daddy, you're in this book. Jonathan knows Pete Gregg, and he wrote the incredible book on prayer. And really according to Youth with a Mission, began the 24-7 prayer movement out of that book on prayer. And also, prayer rooms grew out of his ministry in England. And so he wanted to write this book, How to Hear God, a simple guide for normal people. And Jonathan, my boy, said, Daddy, he wants to do a FaceTime with you because he wants to include the story of how I came to be. And I don't want to take time to do that this morning. That's for another time, but I think I can do it briefly. In 1976, we came to know Jesus in May of 1970. And I left my rock and roll career. I left a band that I left a connection with the Almond Brothers and Dick Clark and all that crazy stuff to follow the man of Galilee. And I was an adulterer for three and a half years, being on the road playing music. And on that day, I said yes to Jesus Christ and became a disciple that day. And to be a disciple meant I had to say no to my career. I had to leave my nets. I had to leave my tax booth. I had to leave my fishing boat to follow after him. And I committed my life 
to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I knew the first thing I had to do was to go home to my precious, beautiful wife of three and a half years then. And when I came in the door, I said, Linda, we need to talk. And you wanted to talk because you said later, that was not the same man that walked out that morning. It came home that afternoon. I said, Linda, you know I have been so bad to you. But with the help of God, I want to be the husband you've never had. And I want to be a daddy to those two little girls that they've never known. And the greatest miracle in all of life the greatest miracle in all of life is forgiveness. And God enabled three and a half years of wicked, defaming, shameful. Enable my wife to forgive me. And you know forgiveness is real if it's never brought up ever again. Old things passed away. And on that day, everything became new and is still new. The beauty, somebody says, well, what, what is it between you two? Because I lust for her all the time. And at 78, that's quite an accomplishment. I absolutely love and adore my wife. But the beauty of old things passing and all things becoming new is you never come to the end of the newness. Each day I'm married to a new creation. And each day I get to explore and she gets to explore who each other is and who we are becoming. What gets born is when you think you have something figured out. And you always know how the other one is going to react. Because they never change. That would be a hellish marriage. Back to my story. So we had two little girls, and in 1976, Linda had cancer of the uterus. We were two weeks away from a hysterectomy, and a prophet came and told us, told me, that I have a son named Jonathan David. He would play the harp and his write music and his songs would go all over the world. And when you're waiting two weeks for a hysterectomy, you have to try that word. And I, I was so overwhelmed. I said, Lord, I, I, I didn't even know the man. Not really. I'd met him one time before. And I said, Lord, I need something else. Oh, yes, I've never met your wife. But the Lord gave me a picture of her. You and her were in a car on a beautiful spring day, and she saw a field of daisies. Pull over, pull over. And she jumped out of the car, and she ran out in the field and grabbed a daisy. Loves me. Loves me not. That one doesn't count. While we were dating... And 
A year and a half later, we had a little Jonathan David. And I never told him, but one thing of the, and this is, this is wisdom. Sometimes you get things from the Lord. Sometimes they're not to be given, they're to intercede for. And you only give that part that God allows you to give. And that takes years of practice. But I never told him about the music, writing music, songs going all over the world. Why do you tell a kid that? Then he'll have to try to do it himself. And the difference in he between, oh, this is so good. This is so good. The difference between having a vision from God and a vision is if you get a vision without God's purpose, you will try to accomplish it through your self-effort and ambition. But if you get a vision from God with purpose, then you know He will accomplish it through you. Oh, purpose. Oh, God's purpose. I just get moved inside thinking about a life of discovering his purpose. It's all that matters. My purpose doesn't mean anything. His purpose is everything. <laughs> I don't care. I really don't care what y'all are thinking. <clears throat> So anyway, I did the interview and he put it in the book. Oh, I, I guess I left some parts out. Only until Jonathan was 19. He was in YWAM Youth with a Mission in England. I went to hear him. And he was, I, gave, I bought him a guitar because he asked me, Daddy didn't used to play guitar. Uh, yeah. He would play the harp. And all of a sudden... A prophecy that was given 21 years before. Some things you just have to wait for. And don't become impatient. Did you used to play guitar, Daddy? Could you, don't you have one in the attic? Uh, could you teach me some chords? And we get to visit him in Nuneaton in England and I noticed he was leading some worship. And I spoke at a couple of meetings. And the last night, flying home the next day, I said, Jonathan, uh, I know your sisters would love to hear maybe some worship. And I got a tape recorder, cassette recorder, remember them? His first song, that's okay, it won't work. We would take back our land. And with our testimony, we will stand. We will overcome this worldliness by praising him in the wilderness. And we'll lift up a new foundation of praise in every situation. We will dance in your palace 
all our days. We'll sing in your temple with all our praise. We'll shout down walls in the name of your son. Because we will overcome. We will overcome by the blood of the Lamb. I said, Jonathan, who wrote that? I did, Daddy. Did you like it? I said, Jonathan, I never told you this. I've waited 21 years for this moment. That's the word of a prophet. And the first song you wrote will mark your life. The first song God gives to you. And Jonathan, you can be a songwriter or you can be a song receiver. Your daddy ain't much of a songwriter. I can write a song on a heartbeat. But oh, those songs that come from intimacy with himself. And my first song I wrote has marked my life. And he smiled because he knew it. The first song I ever wrote was, Go feed my sheep, dear Peter. Go into all the world, feed my lambs. And that's been our life of 52 years. Jonathan's life will be a life of worship, tearing down the strongholds that the 60s generation that I created, and he's going to take back that land his daddy did in his hippie day. My drug days, my rock and roll days, my free sex days. All that crap. He's going to take them back. And how is he going to take them back? Because we're going to lift up a new foundation of worship in every situation. And that worship is going to take down and tear down stronghold. Woo! Oh, the worship was so sweet this morning. It was precious. It was heartfelt. So I got the book from Pete Gregg. Learning. Can I get off of here? I feel a mile away from you. But learning. I emphasize the word learning. Learning how to hear God's voice hyphen his word and his whispers is the single most important thing you will ever learn to do. Anytime you read truth that is not in Scripture, question it. It's okay. It's a good thing. Pete Gregg's a sinner just like you are. 
just like I am. So I questioned it. Why is hearing the voice of the Lord the single most important thing you will ever learn to do? Hearing God's voice is how I came into the kingdom. Isaiah 55, verse 3. Listen, hearken diligently to me, semicolon, hear, comma, and your soul shall live. And as a rock and roller, dope smoking, doing yoga, doing transcendental meditation, all that Eastern crap, I would show up in churches, and I had, I had hair there. That's amazing. And it was down to my shoulders. And I wore that poncho you made for me because that was the best thing I had. And everybody knew I was a hippie, so I sat on the back row. And when people would file out of church, I would politely say, excuse me, you're a Christian, you go to church. Does God speak to you? Nobody. Church after church for months, nobody could tell me, yes, I hear God. Not being a Christian, I figured they had a relationship with the Bible without knowing its author. What's the purpose of reading the Bible if you don't hear him? The, the greatest source of the word and hearing God is his word. And I'm so glad Pete pointed out. And in the book, we rejoice because we both read it together. The whole first three chapters was how important it is that we are scripturally based in hearing the voice of God. The best way God speaks is through his word. In John 14, when Jesus said, every word that I've spoken to, the Holy Spirit will bring it back to your remembrance. And if you don't have it in there, it's like trying to draw something out of your computer that you never put the program in. Press that command function on you want and you'll not get it because the program is not in there. Downloading scripture into yourself. Then I reasoned this. People, they didn't hear God. So finally I said, how, how can you have a relationship with anyone if you never listen to them? The key to relationship is communication. The key to the beauty of our relationship is we don't have any secrets anymore. We confess to one another and we listen to one another. And you correct me so well. It's incredible. I, nobody... This is God's design for marriage. The number one way to be transformed is marriage. You, 
you either get transformed by marriage or you divorce. And you leave it. I don't want to go down that road. But hearing his word, his word of correction, it's okay. I went to borrow man's chainsaw. We finally got a little 6.6 acre of land and we are going to build a log cabin or something, I don't remember. We were living by faith. We went six months one time with no paycheck. (laughs) We were living by faith. But we met every meal. I don't know how it happened. But I went to borrow a man's chainsaw because we got a lot and I was going to clear some trees. And when I got there, he was a wise, wise man. And he gave me the instruction manual, not the chainsaw. There's some younger people here. I would say that pissed me off, but I won't say that. But I mean an instruction manual for a John Brown chainsaw. Just show me where the choke is and just And I mean it was long. Because instruction manuals are do not use this with both hands with one on the don't start it with your hand on the chain. You know, stupid stuff like that. Pages of stupid stuff. Because of there's too many lawyers in the world. My son-in-law is a lawyer, but no, he's a prosecutor, so he doesn't count. So anyhow, I finally told a lie. And I said to Colonel Carty, I said, Mr. Carty, I'm really running late, and I'll come back later. And went out and bought a used chainsaw. Maybe a year went by. And I made an absolute horrible mistake. I made a mistake in ministry and injured somebody. I I really believe the majority of injuries that take place to Christians usually happen in church. And it just breaks my heart because it's his church. How do you think he must feel? when we can so wound and hurt and be so insensitive to each other. It must break God's heart. But I did it. I did something to somebody I never should have done. And I was repenting. I said, Lord, that was crazy. My zeal went past my knowledge. And I really messed up. help me he said I gave you a manual he just never read it you know I could quit right now how are y'all doing you doing okay I love to watch those I love to see that guy back there 
with his baby bouncing. Do you change diapers? I never changed a diaper. I tell you, you cannot smoke dope and change a diaper. That sucker gets so big. But when I got saved, I changed diapers too. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. So when I read this, his word and his whispers, before I went further in the book, I stopped and realized the word was hearing God through scripture. But catch this. Every other way of hearing God is a whisper compared to hearing God in the word. And yet most Christians would rather go to a meeting where there's a prophet and get a prophetic word than to read the word itself. And one reason why some of these prophecies and prophets are failing is God is not going to let you depend on a man. He's too jealous for that. Woo, boy, did that preach. Nobody left, David. That's pretty good. <laughs> Next slide. Incidentally, I told you I got these from books. This is the one that I beat Greg's book. But this is one that has been with me and is the only book I carry around in my Bible. It's called The Three Battlegrounds by Francis Frangipan. I have read parts of this book over and over and over for 20-some or maybe 30 years. It's one of the greatest books on spiritual warfare I have ever read. And this is chapter 13. All spiritual warfare is waged over one essential question. Who will control reality, heaven or hell? It's always been a mystery to me that when a demon and an angel fight and they're spirit beings, how do you know who won? Is whose ever reality is in place when the battle is over. It's easy for me to receive it because I've been meditating on that for 30 years and now I watch it on the news every single day. That the battle for America's soul is who is going to find truth and reality. Whose moral foundations are we going to lean on? The biblical ones or all the others? Whatever a society agrees upon and establishes through consent, through compromise and constant use, that will be what defines reality to them. And nothing breaks my heart more to take the first covenant symbol of God, a rainbow that it would never flood the earth again, to be stolen and take it by a demonic entity and use it as a symbol. And that's the way you create a new reality is the little things and the way you misuse words and redefine the meaning of words to where you get so confused you don't know 
where you're going any longer. That's why, oh, Jesus, Holy Ghost revival and nothing less. Next slide. I was leaving for Norway. I made 31, possibly 32, maybe 30. I don't want to exaggerate more times. I've done youth with a mission all over the world. Seven trips to Australia or nine, I don't remember. But in Norway, I've been 31 times. And the reason why I've been used of God more in Norway than any other place, if you look at that upper part of the Scandinavia, the upper part of Germany, Finland, the culture is... You have to, to catch this, this is their culture. This is the way Christians think. You have to understand God in order to believe God. So there's always this incredible battle of the mind. Now you can look at me and realize I don't know much. And I'm not real intelligent. But I have faith And I believe God. And God has been revealed to me. I love him. I believe God. And in believing him, I've had 52 years of understanding. I didn't have to understand him in order to believe. The way of the Spirit is faith. And then comes the understanding. And the beauty of God is you'll never get to the end of understanding him. You can't get there. Because if you did, heaven would be born. And the reason heaven is so glorious is we will never get to the end of God. And one day, I love this, I picture it all the time, I'm going to bump into you 20,000 or maybe 20 million years because there's no time we won't know how long it was. But we will have perfect recall of this day, November the 13th of 2022. And we will look at each other and say, you told me this was going to happen. Here we are. And we will be standing there remembering this day with perfect minds and perfect memories. And all of a sudden as we're standing there, just, you know, wow, uh, God will do something. And we go, did you see that? Oh, my goodness. There will never be an end to that because you cannot get to the end of God. That's how great our God is. Whoa. Oh, Jesus, this is going to, it's 819, David, and I haven't even got one-third through the world. So anyway, so I'm going to use this almost as a closing point. So I'm leaving for Norway, and I've got my notes, I've done my materials. I basically teach how to journal the voice of the Lord. That's what I do more than, but they never attribute that to me. They always say, thank you for teaching on the Father heart of God. And I've never taught on the Father heart of God. But what I realize 
is that the Father, the Father heart of God came through me. It overwhelms me. So I'm saying, Lord, is there anything you want to say? And he says, yes. The world's definition of love is tolerance. What that means is, if you don't tolerate my evil behavior, don't tell me you love me. And this is the battle the church of Jesus Christ is in today. I've wondered what will be my reaction and attitude because I have had several homosexuals. Two of them came. One of them was delivered and the other is still a homosexual. One went on to be an incredible missionary in the Philippines. They both came. But this one, it always ended up an argument and a fight. And I realized my arguments and my scripture quotations got nowhere. So I've been asking the Lord, Lord, if I meet someone who's a militant, militant homosexual, or I meet someone that's a militant abortion rights advocate who is madder than H at me because I'm a Christian, how should I respond? And I hope this happens. But I hope in that moment I would fall on the ground before them and begin to weep for the eternal damnation that they are going to suffer unless they come to the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if that theology doesn't fit your world, that's okay. But that's my world. I want truth that responds with love, and I want love that will respond with truth. Next slide. I, I, I give you this because this is such a great summation. Three Battlegrounds is great and Pete Gregg's book is great. But next to the Bible, my utmost for his highest is more than a book. When I was one month old Christian, I was invited by a man to go to a full gospel businessmen's meeting. And um, I got in his car. He was driving. I'm 25 and a half years old. He had a Bible. Those were the days before bucket seats, bench. There's a Bible. And there's a little book there, not this one. It was an older, smaller book. And I just picked it up and I said, what's this? He said, it's yours. I'm not going to take your book. 
He said, oh, yes, you are. He said, because I tell you right now, you'll be reading that book for the rest of your life. Now, that's a prophetic word. And he gave me his book. And I couldn't read it. It was so deep. But I tried. And I begged for help. And I kept reading it. And then I got some help from a man that started mentoring me. And he helped me to start breaking it down. Of all the books I've read, this book, no, it wasn't the book at all. I invited Oswald Chambers into my life to mentor me. I did not realize a mentor had to be alive. A mentor is that someone whom you love and trust their relationship with Jesus to allow them to speak to you things in a level that hopefully you can receive it so that you can get into the Word of God. And I just want to read this because this is what I think the real battle is. The nature of sin is not immorality. I had a woman that was a Methodist. I've been to every denomination you can imagine. And she, we did a lay witness weekend. That was something that happened back in the 70s and 80s. And she came up to me and says, y'all have been real kind, you and your group, but we Methodists are so good, we don't need that born again stuff. We're good people. So it's interesting how when we think of sin, we think of immorality or morality. So I start the sentence again so you can see where I'm coming from. The nature of sin is not immorality and wrongdoing. It's the nature of self-realization which leads us to say, I am my own. This nature may exhibit itself in proper morality or in improper morality, but it always has the same common basis. May this get inside of you so that, see, the beauty of truth is it becomes a set of glasses, perspective. To look at things through truth, to look at things through we, we read a whole great book on the cross. And the beauty of the cross is to have the perspective to see things with a cross perspective. To have this perspective that sin, nature, is my claim to my right to myself. Well, I know that was intense. And I cannot do because and it's already almost 10 minutes past. And if y'all don't hurry out of here, the Baptist, Methodist, and all the others will get to the eating places before you. <laughs> and now you know why you have such an early service. <laughs> <laughs> 
Can you skip down? Uh, keep going. Because this will have to be for another time. And I'd love to come back for another time. Yes. That's it. That's it. I, I wish I could give you what precedes this. But it, I really ran out of time. And yet I trust that what I've shared was what the Spirit wanted to be said. My wife hasn't even heard this. But um, Friday, when uh, we were working out at the Y, on the treadmill and all those crazy machines so we don't hurt ourselves on the weights. And I was thinking about you because I just didn't want to come without something that that God wanted for you. I just, I wanted to bring you something. I really want to be a good servant. So I said, Lord, please give me what, what the church needs. And I wish I could give you what precedes us, but I just have to wait. But what the Lord was saying to me is that when you become radically His, there's no difference between your wants and your needs. I want everything that God has for me because I need everything that God has for me. I want to love the way Jesus loves because I need to love the way Jesus loves. And when you want and your needs become one. That is walking in the spirit of the living. That is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is the new transformed self. That you don't know your wants from your needs or your needs from your wants because you want what God has, which is Psalm 37, 4. When you delight yourself in the Lord, He will give to you the desires of heart. And how many things have you wasted your money on and once He lets you have it, and then it all what you wanted? And you finally come to this place of such disappointment in yourself. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If my claim to my right to myself is the nature of sin, it's wonderful to be disappointed in you. <laughs> Hallelujah. To finally one day you say, God, I don't even know what I want. But you delight to give me what I need. And what I need is what I want with all. And if I can remember it, I'm going to try. I hope I can do it. But I wrote this when I was over there on the treadmill and the machines, and you wonder why I was so quiet. Lord, make my wants be my need. And make my need be what I want. Lord, make me your servant. Make me your friend. Share my wants and my needs are one and the same. To my wants 
and my needs are one. Do you want to sing it? Don't sing it if you don't mean it. If, it, if ever I gave an altar call, and I'm not good at them, I grew up a Baptist and I just ruined them. But I felt this would be the altar call. An altar call means I want to make a decision for Christ. Thank you, Billy Graham. What a great evangelist. Because he always left it down and brought people to make a decision. And if you can leave church with having not made any kind of decision, did you get anything from God? Lord, make my wants be my need. Make my needs be my wants. Lord, make me a son and a friend. To my wants and my needs are one and the same. To my wants and my needs are one. Jesus, you heard their hearts. Make that reality. And put a guard against all the things that rob your people from Scripture and the Word of God. Help them to learn the greatest thing they must do is learn how to hear you in everything of life. From the Word and your whispers. Hey, thank you for watching the Sermon of the Week. We pray that you were blessed by it and you felt prompted to act upon what the Spirit of God was saying to you. If you live in the Charlotte area, we would love for you to come and worship with us at one of our weekend gatherings. That way you can find out more about our church family and what we value most. We encourage you also to give to our ministry so that we might continue spreading the gospel of Jesus to our city and throughout the world. To do so, you simply go to missioncommunity.cc Click on the Give button and the rest is simple. Lastly, I would encourage you to check out the remaining content on our YouTube channel. And don't forget to subscribe. That way you will receive all of the reminders for fresh content that we put out. Have a wonderful rest of your day. May God bless you and thank you again for watching this week's message.